listening to the Plugged In Podcast, presented by the Institute for Energy Research. To find out more about our work, visit our website at instituteforenergyresearch.org. Welcome back to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Stevens. And joining me today is IER's Deputy Director of Policy, Jordan McGillis. Jordan, how are you doing this morning? Doing well. Thanks, Alex. So you have a new op-ed out at National Review discussing carbon border adjustments, carbon border taxes. That's right. Let's, uh, yeah, sure. Let's talk about what is being discussed right now on the Hill, what the, the policy proposal is, and then that'll lead us naturally into a discussion about what we should call this thing. Sure. Uh, so what is being proposed is a tax on imported goods based on the assumed emissions content of their production and or use. So the first thing we think about with this sort of tax is the fossil fuels themselves, coal, oil, natural gas. That that obviously uh, has an emissions potential that would come under this tax. But then the other big category um, that's being talked about being taxed right now are high energy or high emissions goods like cement, steel, and aluminum. Um, So those those are uh, things that themselves aren't going to be burned as fuels in the US, but that did entail the use of significant fossil fuels in their production overseas. Um, Now, conceptually, this idea of taxing imports based on their emissions content, it could go much wider than just those energy intensive goods and the fossil fuels. It could encompass all imports. Uh, And in fact, that's what a proposal last year would have done. That proposal um, came from uh, the Senate office of Chris Coons and the House of Representatives office of Scott Peters. That bill um, would have tied this this tax idea with a domestic carbon tax. But the idea we're seeing now would be somewhat narrower. Um, There's nothing on paper just yet, uh, but Sheldon Whitehouse, Democratic senator, says something will be on paper in the next two weeks or so. The idea now would be to just tax those energy intensive goods uh, and the carbon pardon me, the fossil fuels themselves, the coal, oil, and natural gas. Um, So there's all sorts of problems with this. And I think that the the first problem to address um, when we're talking big picture, how this impacts people is that this would drive up costs for businesses, it would drive up costs for households. And that would come amid um, some quite precarious economic times, the, the recent information we've seen coming out from the various agencies are that our our economy contracted in the first quarter uh, on an annualized rate of like 1.5%. And of course, we're at near record high inflation, inflation being over uh, 8% year on year right now. So we're talking about a tax on these imports that would make household budgets and make business budgets even more constrained. So that's obviously your first red flag. Um, from a number of perspectives, there would be, you know, justified reason for doing so. If you think that the uh, potential for for global warming to affect significant harm in people is high enough, 
you could justify that and say, well, we need to take short-term hit now uh, for the long-term benefit. But what's so strange is that this carbon border adjustment, if you want to use that term, would only touch those imports. It wouldn't actually affect our domestic production. It wouldn't actually affect um, the uh, fossil fuels that we're producing here at home. So in effect, this is a tariff. This is a discriminatory policy against imports. And that comes with all the distortions um, and all of the trade complications that tariffs entail. Um, you, you know, as well as I do, that we've seen significant widespread harm uh, affected on, on the American economy by the Trump and now Biden steel tariffs. And we'd essentially be expanding that. So we would not only be placing these import tariffs on steel, but on cement and on oil, gas, and coal, uh, fertilizers, petrochemicals. Um, so this would be a very strange, strange choice, particularly given that we don't have that policy here at home of having unified uh, carbon tax or unified emissions trading um, policy in the US. And then the third thing I point to as a, a big problem with this is the administration of it, of adjudicating just what the emissions content of all of these products are, given that the US has trade relations with you know, just about every country on earth, every one of which has a different energy mix and, and different energy policies in place. You'd be spending so much time and effort just to come to what the right tax is for all, the, all these different jurisdictions that you're, you're right there incurring some deadweight loss. So this is a major loser of a policy. Um, and what we're, what we're being told from the reporters at E&E News, one of the best energy and environment um, outlets that we have in the US is that in 10 days or so, we should see a proposal on paper that would draw support from a mix of Republicans and Democrats. Uh, the Democratic support that would be driven primarily by their climate concerns and the, the ringleaders there are Senators Kuhn and Senator White, Senators Kuhn and Whitehouse. Um, on the Republican side, uh, you're seeing Senator Kramer from North Dakota, um, Senator Lindsey Graham, Senator Bill Cassidy supporting this policy largely on protectionist grounds. They want to give a boost to a very narrow subset of the American economy. Um, their specific oil, gas and coal producing uh, states that, that, they, that a good portion of them represent. Um, and then as with anything moving through the Senate right now, uh, the, the person who could have the determining vote would be Senator Manchin from West Virginia. And um, E&E News is, is sometimes calling this the, the Manchin bipartisan energy gain, which is a term I used in my National Review piece. Um, so it'll you know, ultimately come down to whether you can get this interesting coalition between some protectionist viewpoints and some climate hawk viewpoints with Manchin being the, the determining factor, essentially. On the protectionist point, um, the senators who are supporting this from the GOP side, uh, some of them are from oil producing states. So is that sort of the angle there that? I'll, I'll give the just straight explanation that Senator Kramer himself would give so as not to to make this too biased of a, of a podcast for our listeners, Senator Kramer would say, 
and has said in, in numerous places, including an, an op-ed with H.R. McMaster that was in foreign policy in uh, December or January. He said that this sort of idea of a carbon border adjustment um, would be an environmental positive because it would encourage production or it would really, it would encourage the purchase of uh, products, petroleum products, oil and gas produced under higher quality environmental regime regimes here in the US relative to places like Russia. Uh, and when he wrote that op-ed, that was prior to the, immediately prior to the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the subsequent policy responses to that. So he was saying, hey, we've got, you know, our, an economy that's a little bit too tangled with um, some, some states that have one, low quality environmental standards and two, are geopolitical foes. So by erecting a tariff against those, um, those imports, we can encourage a, any economic relationships that are promoting higher quality, both environmentally and morally um, from here in the US. So that there's a fairly reasonable case to be made there. Um, my personal view is that generally those decisions should be made at the firm level and uh, there is supply chain risk. There is, um, there are sometimes these moral components. We've talked about those from the IAR perspective on the, the mineral production supply chain that, um, the cobalt supply chain specifically, which sometimes involves child labor in places like the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The idea that, that uh, we can have more positive um, environmental and, and moral frameworks in place is, is a reasonable one, um, but it's very difficult for our government to be making those determinations on all the nuanced and various policies and, and things that are going on in all these different countries across the world. So there's that angle to the, to the Kramer case that it would be better for the environment and it would be better moral choice for us to be effectively promoting US, um, a US-based energy production system. And then the other side of this uh, that you're hearing from uh, Senator Cassidy and, and Senator Graham a bit more is beating China. They want to tax um, imports of these energy intensive goods with the explicit purpose of uh, harming the Chinese economy. Um, and that's a very debatable point as to whether, you know, who really benefits and who really is harmed by tariffs. Um, but what I like to point out here is that when you cast a net as wide as we're talking, it wouldn't just harm um, the Chinese economy, it would also harm the economies of countries that we're viewing from the US perspective as really important partners in, um, in this competition with China, countries like India, Vietnam, Indonesia. These are uh, developing countries as China is, um, but they're countries we'd love to have on our side in this, in this geopolitical competition. China wants places like India, Indonesia, and Vietnam to see the US as uh, a neo-imperialist country. And by, by putting in place this sort of carbon border adjustment that would drive up the cost of importing things from India, Indonesia, and Vietnam, I think we'd be playing into China's rhetoric here. Um, Senator Graham has lumped together 
China and India saying we need to get these countries to increase their environmental standards so that they're on the same par as the US. Um, and whether that's a, a, a genuine position he holds, I don't know. But I find it very troubling to, to lump India and, and China together in that way. Um, because one, they're at very different uh, developmental points. And two, lumping them together plays right into China's hands. We want India to view us as a reliable partner, not for India to think of themselves as in the same boat as China against the U.S. Seems like politically uh, tariffs that raise, uh, that, that are ultimately paid for by American consumers, um, it seems like a strange way to try to change behavior in other countries too. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and I'm not an expert in, in this, in this area of the, the consequences of tariffs on the, the, um, what happens in other countries when you, when you put them on in, in this sort of style, you could also look at, at sanctions in a similar way. Like, do they have the, the effect that you're expecting? Um, from what I understand, they often don't. And they often don't even harm the other economies as, as, as you would hope when you put them into place. Um, the current example in the midst of this Russian war on Ukraine is that despite the sanctions put in place, the Russian economy has not uh, plummeted, plummeted as some predicted. It took a hit initially in the first month or two, but it sort of stabilized and bounced back um, and I think like the value of the ruble relative to the dollar has recovered. Um, so how things uh, transpire in the aftermath of putting in place sanctions, whether it's for geopolitical reasons or these sorts of tariffs, which are ostensibly on environmental grounds, is a very complicated endeavor. And um, increasingly the US and, and even the wider Western world, if you wanna lump the US, Canada, Western Europe together, are, we're a small part of the, of the global economy, or, or at least not an overwhelmingly large part of the global economy. Um, China, Russia, India, the rest of the Asia-Pacific region um, is the population center of the world, and there's more economic growth in China and in the Asia-Pacific and Southeast Asia um, than in the US, Canada, and Western Europe. So by us erecting these barriers, we are not necessarily going to have the, the, the effect we want. What we could do is drive further integration between um, countries like Indonesia, Vietnam, the Philippines, Malaysia, Thailand, and China, uh, instead of welcoming those countries that are sort of caught in between the US and China, welcoming them into our um, liberal economic sphere, which is what I would prefer. Uh, and I mentioned Europe there. Let me, let me go on further in the discussion of Europe. Um, Europe, the European Union, has what's called an emissions trading system, basically a targeted cap-and-trade style system. And in order to uh, protect their domestic businesses from suffering competitive disadvantages as a result of that, um, emissions trading system, they have erected a carbon border adjustment of their own, but it's very different from the U.S. policy that's being proposed because they have that emissions trading system. Um, we don't have an emissions trading system. We don't have a unified carbon price in the U.S., so our policy would 
basically be a discriminatory tariff, whereas the European policy it can reasonably be thought of as an adjustment that helps make domestic businesses whole. Now, there's a whole discussion there about uh, if you need to go through all these hoops to make your businesses whole, does it make you pause for a second and think about, is this just generally causing economic harm? I would say yes, um, but at least there's some coherence to the idea of putting in place a carbon border adjustment uh, to make domestic businesses not at a disadvantage. We would just be advantaging domestic businesses. We wouldn't be um, leveling a playing field. We would be tilting a playing field um, in, in our case. And specifically the way that the EU policy works is that importers um, of carbon intensive goods have to buy, basically buy certificates that are equivalent to the trading price within the EU. So it's all a pretty rational system. Um, you know, if you're on the premise of of needing to have some sort of carbon um, mitigation policy in place. Very different case here in the US. We don't have a unified carbon price. Therefore, this is a discriminatory import tariff and it will uh, lead to retaliatory measures and WTO challenges from um, the countries that I think we should be trying to rally to our side. I think my, uh, my biggest concern would be in the implementation of this, uh, the process of measuring the amount of carbon produced in uh, these imports, uh, determining the appropriate tariff rate, uh, everything that's going to go into the bureaucracy to do all this, um, it just seems like it would massive, massively expand the bureaucracy. And we know that the way that these things will be enforced, it's not going to be done dispassionately and just sort of, you know, seamlessly and costlessly seems ripe for something that could be um, gamed by people who are politically connected. And that would be my, my main concern, I guess, with implementation. I would certainly agree with that. I, I don't have a lot to add. You, you nailed that. Uh, we're looking at a very exploitable process and a process that uh, will inevitably um, diverge from the Blackboard version of carbon pricing. We have no reliable way of of gauging the emissions uh, that resulted from the production of these goods in the first place. And even if we did, we would see distortions due to the, all the public choice concerns that, that you highlight um, in your work regularly. So what else haven't we covered that you think our listeners need to know about this? Um, and when should, as we said, it was, it's just sort of a framework right now. Can you give it sort of a timeline of when we think these things will, uh, an actual proposal will be released and um, what you're paying attention to going forward? Well, uh, we're, you and I are recording this on May 12th. And um, as of today, Senator Whitehouse said he plans to introduce this policy in the coming weeks, according to E&E. Um, I think I saw somewhere else, uh, he was quoted as saying within the next 10 days or so, they plan to introduce the legislation. So we haven't seen um, specific text yet, but what Senator Whitehouse has said, again, he's one of the ringleaders. Um, I'll quote here from an e, e Daily News article that came out today. Whitehouse says, quote, it's a carbon tariff on imports of the major energy intensive goods like iron and steel and aluminum and cement, glass, pulp paper, fossil fuels themselves, petrochemicals, fertilizer, end quote. Um, so within the next 10 days, we're expecting to see 
text on, you know, an introduction of this legislation. Um, and that'll be part of a, of a broader package that's also going to include um, a lot of uh, incentives domestically for, for various forms of um, low emissions energy technology. So it's, it's going to be likely bundled with a, a whole array of things that, that we would find or we would take issue with. Um, the, la the last thing I would want to discuss is this terminology question. There's a lot of um, circling around different terms. I personally don't, don't know exactly what the best way to describe these policies are, so I tend to just gravitate toward the mainstream um, term, which is carbon border adjustment. My national review piece, I use the term carbon tariff, and that's, that's widely used as well. Um, I think it's perfectly fine to call it a, a carbon tariff, and I think it's appropriate in this case when we don't have a carbon policy here at home to use the carbon tariff term. You could also call it a carbon border tax. Uh, from, a, from a certain perspective, it's just another form of carbon tax, um, and we've talked about those at, at great length. So I think, it's, I think there's a case to be made um, that calling it an adjustment is a means of distracting from the fact that this is a tax on, uh, on energy. And, and really that's what it would be. So anyone who wants to call it a carbon tax or a carbon border tax, I don't have a problem with that. Um, but I think that the technical term carbon border adjustment or carbon tariff are, are perfectly fine to use as well. You can find Jordan's op-ed in our show notes or at National Review Online. I believe we also have a policy brief coming out on this on our website, instituteforenergyresearch.org. Um, when will that be out, Jordan? I would expect that out in the next day or two, and uh, we'll get that onto the page as well so that you've got multiple resources for, for you there when you, uh, when you listen to this podcast. Great. My guest today has been Jordan McGillis. Jordan, thanks for your time today. Yes, sir.